the Yak Babies. Sex, presidents, and sometimes books. Welcome to Yak Babies, a new podcast on the internet sponsored by Nacho Noise App, the soothing sounds of crunch. I'm here with my personal pals. Oh, I'm Aaron. Here are my personal pals, Dave. Hello, boys. Uh, we have Brick as well. Hey. And then calling from Old Ireland, of course, we have Old Irish Nico. Hello, boys. Now, this is an Old Irish topic because it came from Old Irish Nico. Uh, Nico, tell us about today's topic. It's about uh, something you've been experiencing with your reading lately, especially Gravity's Rainbow, right? So I've been reading Gravity's Rainbow. And then before that, Midnight's Children, that was kind of the same way. And then also a, a fantasy book called uh, Malazan. It's the, the first one in this, the Malazan series, which is kind of famous for being more difficult than, than most fantasy books. So it's, I mean, it's difficulty in books. And what, what that adds to your experience, what, what it takes away from your experience, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I kind of think that there's a couple of different kinds of difficulty I think generally there's difficulty in approaching a complex situation in a novel. And then there's difficulty in a writer obfuscating something in order to not make it quite as obvious as it, as it would be if it was like actually happening to you. Hmm. So for instance, Pynchon does that a lot. He, he will, he, he obfuscates a fair bit. He will introduce he will write scenes where he doesn't say what character's perspective it's from, and you have to figure it out intentionally instead of just naming the character. Sometimes he'll introduce right. the character that way. So you, you're you like, which character is this? And then it turns out, oh, you don't know who it is because it's never, you, you haven't seen this person before. And he only mentions his, their name like three or four pages in. Right. And that, that kind of drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would also say to this list, like, I would mention like stylistic difficulty too, right? Density of prose. Yeah, where the writing style is just sort of elliptical or, or sort of not necessarily sort of easy or, or sort of natural in terms of the parsing of it. So it's uh, the content might be relatively straightforward, but the style of it is, like you said, either obscures things or makes it sort of like you have to really, you're looking for something else in this reading as opposed to the sort of basic subject predicate plot structure or like, like right. structure of a sentence. But there's, I feel like there's a way to do that and make it, clear like there's so there's a way to have a complex thought in a complex like with complex grammar in a complex sentence but you understand it the first time and that that is like a specific way to communicate a lot of information to somebody to a reader if you actually care about the reader understanding what you're talking about and i i think Mm. like there's there's a different kind of uh school of writing where they just don't care or they intentionally want you not to understand and want you to have to read a couple of times. So, what do you? Dave, go ahead. Well, I was going to throw it to Brick, and it feels like Joyce is kind of an obvious, easy example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I find so I, I don't feel like Joyce or or you know Under the Volcano, if we want to talk about that, are like intentionally obfuscating anything. They're they're complex structurally, right? They're the syntax and everything else is not simple right they're they're sometimes like ulysses is a is a tank like the the reading of that book is untangling something right that's that's the that's the experience of the book is 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 untangling that knot and it's really rewarding to do it that's a a little bit of a weird example because a lot of the difficulty of that book is that it's so rooted in the time and place that it takes that like you don't someone who grew up in America in the late 
or was born in America in the late 21st century does not have, doesn't know the words, doesn't know the lingo. Cause that thing's full of like 1910s Irish slang and whatever else. So like the, that book comes with companion books because like, if you weren't there, you, you literally won't know some of that stuff. Right. It, it's full of references to songs and whatever else that are. Well, what long, about right? isn't Finnegan's wake basically unreadable for most of the general public? So, yeah, so that's, so that's the other hand. So, and I don't, I think that book, I honestly think Finnegan's Wake is a fucking prank. I, I really do. I, I think that Joyce wrote that book being like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do. I've tried to read that book. That book is unreadable. It's not, I don't believe it's possible to read that book. I, I believe that you, that there's, like he could read that book. And I believe other people have, have done the work that takes years or whatever to read that book and understand it. But that's not a, that's not really a book. That's a, that's an experiment. So that, that's like maybe a different, that's closer to the obfuscating thing. But I, I think if that were his only book or all of his books were like that, like it would be different. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, that comes at the end of a, a career arc and a, and a, and even story arcs. Cause it's, it's related to, to the characters of, of that and portrait of the artist, but that's a little different, I think, than than like pension. Yeah, right. Or like I, I th- th- this was God. What's that book? Yeah, the Roth book, American Pastoral. I felt no, no, that's not the book I'm thinking. What's the one with with God? What's the what's the one we read? Clinton and um, the Human Stain. Human Stain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt this way about that. Where like I, sometimes that book just felt like it was needlessly complicated on a on a sentence level basis, hmm. where I was like struggling to not struggling but like it was it was asking more work of me than i felt i was getting back and that might come down to personal preference right because i'm sure a lot of people felt that way with ulysses i know nico felt that way with under the volcano and i didn't i i felt that getting a handle on the prosody of that book was something that i enjoyed doing and it made made me like the book more because it didn't feel like i didn't feel like under the volcano was trying to trick me hmm. You know, I felt like it was doing its thing and it was on me to to get on the page or not. Right. I think a lot of it is like as a writer, like you want to to not spell it out completely for your reader. Like you want them to make their own assumptions, but you also don't want to just make it because it's it's so easy to make it just impossible to understand. Yep. Like I think a lot of it is that balance between trying to make it trying to to give the reader like those moments where you're like, oh shit, this is that other guy and like so-and-so doesn't know, you know, or, you know, those moments where you make those connections that are not spelled out for you. And then on the other side of the spectrum is like a shitty book where it's just like, this guy's an asshole. He's, you know, he says this meanly, you know, and, and there's no, there's no real nuance. There's no room for interpretation, but I think that's a, that's a balance that is kind of different for every reader so it's tough tough to hit and and different authors yeah because it's also i think a lot about the experience like the author trying to express something in a certain way and trying to generate a certain feeling for the both the reader and for themselves too right so if writing an elliptical prose style is what lets you as a writer convey the thing you're trying to get out of your head like if you had this like sort of thing you're like thinking through or experiencing you want to get it on page somewhere it might take the form of a more like abstract text and so you're trusting or hoping your audience will find you there somewhere too i I mean i guess that like the calculation is like well this is worth it to me to experience this or to express it this way and just hope that someone will, will also sort of connect with that too and be able to piece it together versus i would say someone who's just like trying to 
aiming for prestige via difficulty, right? That's another problem too, is like, yeah. because when you brought this topic up, Nico, one thing I wanted to, to mention was like, I think that we often culturally, at least our like critics seem to like uh, prioritize difficulty mm-hmm. as like a higher level of sophistication. Right. That makes it easy to use it as an aesthetic cover too. If you just like wrap your story or whatever you're making up in, make it seem like it's harder than it is, right. then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, this is much more like fucking Craig Nova. It's mm-hmm. like that kind of like weird prose choice to make things seem more challenging than they really are. Just like, just say it's blue. Don't say it's blue or it's green blue or it's actually more green and then like go on nine different adjectives. Yeah, I did not expect that name to come up in a <laughs> episode about <laughs> difficulty. But so I think that that's like those... Those are maybe different experiences of difficulty, and one is definitely much more frustrating, the fake one. But it can be sometimes hard to suss out the the real between the, the real and the fake, I suppose. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I think I tend to hate Booker Prize novels is because they <laughs> they seem to pick out the books that are intentionally trying to be as difficult as possible. So one that we read for our, our book club is called Milkman, and it's uh, a novel about I think in like an Irish border town between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. And there are no, there are no names. So it's, it's like the girl and the girl's friend and then the girl's friend's boyfriend and then the girl's friend's sister's boyfriend. And then it's like, there's no reason for this. Like, this is not adding to it. It's just confusing the fuck out of me. And like, I can't keep any of these people straight. And then there's like, one milkman and then there's a second milkman and so you never know which fucking milkman they're talking about and it's like like the there there are those kind of things where either the the project gets away from the writer or it's so up its own ass that it's you know not worth the time that you're gonna put into it that that the booker prize just loves that shit they eat that shit up (laughs) i don't know why i mean i do know why it's because they want to seem smart But that's part of the trick, though, is that or the trap of that is that sometimes the difficult texts are more sophisticated and that difficulty is part of what makes it. I think Under the Volcano is a sophisticated text in part. The difficulty is what makes that so effective and satisfying is that you have to really piece together and and try to figure out how Lowry is writing so that you can then understand it yourself. But the getting there and sort of finding yourself in the perspective disjointed perspective of this like alcoholic narrator is like yeah this this works well i i think when we talked about that book one of the things we touched on was like how the first chapter is among the most if not the most forbidding in that book so it's like maybe in a way he's trying to sort of like slough off any reader who he's not really writing for right like he's trying to make the beginning more difficult so that only what he considers his target audience will stick with him through that. Yeah, or like a decoder process. So if you can get to that first chapter and kind of figure it out and and move on to the next passage, then you are equipped to with some tools to figure out the rest of it. Right. Or he just reworked the chapter over and over and over again more than the rest of the book. And we know that like that text was like re-edited and recombined several times too so that the draft we think of as the complete novel is not necessarily like what lowry had in mind always yeah which is definitely a layer too like sometimes complexity and difficulty comes from like historical layers and just like mm-hmm. oh this this wasn't supposed to read like this and so we read it now we're like this is very fucked up but it's because it you know it went through different layers of editing and changing and censorship or whatever that kind of stuff too i think uh that the the level of difficulty I'm willing to undertake is also directly related to how much I'm 
enjoying either the style or the story or both. So even within Gravity's Rainbow, like the first part is potentially the most the most difficult because you just don't have any kind of frame of reference yet. But it's also the most interesting because there's actually like things happening. And so I probably, you know, I probably spent nearly, you know, an hour per 10 pages that I read just like sorting through all the like making lists of the characters and then just describing what was happening so that I would kind of be able to refer to it and and sift through it and then when I hit this this passage that I just wasn't as interested in then the difficulty got really got in the way of being able to because then I was like I don't care like I would read through this whole passage and it would just be like okay so he he got stoned and like left the weed in the boat uh, like that wasn't worth all of the effort that I went through to, to decode it from, you know, and I, I mean, clearly with Pynchon, like what he's trying to do is a stream of consciousness kind of writing style where he, he like dips in and out of different people's heads and like will change perspective within a paragraph or a sentence and like all that kind of stuff, which is part of what makes it so hard to keep up with him. But like when it's, when the story isn't supporting it, like when the, the action isn't as intricate as that, kind of level of complexity requires then it it really becomes a bear to 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 slog through but i think that's completely personal too like so i don't know yeah definitely yeah i mean because i sometimes the opposite sometimes it that's what's needed to carry a book that doesn't have a plot right where like the the climax of Ulysses is their piss touches, you know. Like that's that's the whole. There's no. It's just two guys getting drunk. It's the that's the story, right? But it's such a good book because the language is able to pull these other things out from their lives and from their relationship and and turn it turn kind of a a pretty bare bones plot into this this sort of. Uh, kind of spiritual thing between these men right and that's like that would be that book needs that language in order to be what it is right it needs those different chapters that have different structures that you've got to figure out that the book is itself a puzzle right and i don't think he necessarily wrote it to be a puzzle he wrote it to be whatever the fuck his brain was doing but it it ended up being a puzzle right uh and and one that was I, i think what can get difficult is when you set out or when you when an author sets out to do the puzzle thing it's it's similar same kind of sentiment but different different execution of of that Ishiguro book where like the, the whole thing leads up to a twist right and it's like it, it, when you're hinging it all on that it really comes down to execution and some people think he pulled it off and and, and others don't right same when like an author like like how many books in MFA do we read or how many novels have you read that like uh, like I'm thinking of one particular uh, guy in mind, right? Where like, oh, you just took a book and chopped it the fuck up. For what reason? I, I don't know, right? But you, you seem to think that this book is better when it's out of order, right? And that doesn't, that's just unnecessarily complicating things. And it doesn't add to the story. It doesn't add, the plot's not improved. Like a plot can be improved with dramatic tension and and reorganizing things. That doesn't mean reorganizing a book temporarily always makes it better, right? And I think that's, like when it comes down to that that execution, that's where it kind of separates like difficulty that is rewarding and difficulty that is just a thing in the way of a book that's probably not that good. Right, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a gimmick, right? Yeah, totally. 
Uh, right. But it can be difficult to figure out what's a gimmick sometimes and what's a sincere expression. And then even a separate question is, is are either one of those things effective? A gimmick can work sometimes. And a gimmick sometimes can be like, oh, well, that gimmick actually does pay off. And similar, sometimes a sincere expression of aesthetic complication or difficulty is just like, ah, this wasn't worth it because I didn't care about the rest of it or whatever. Like I think of Rogue Grier, we talked about this a little bit before recording, like Rogue Grier novels are very difficult, I think, to read uh, because they demand attention and they don't give you anything to rely on in terms of like traditional narrative or character or sentence structure. It's like all the wayfinding things are gone. You're just like totally lost in this thing. And you're reading a passage about a bug crawling across the wall over and over and over again, and nothing is happening. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? But you're so lost in this trance of reading it and you become sort of like engrossing in as well as the sort of newness of it all or at least at the time the newness of it all is somehow thrilling too it's like i can't believe he's getting away with this he's writing this novel and it's about this bug crawling across the wall and it keeps going and i i know it's going somewhere but but it might not actually and that kind of like tension that that between those two spheres of i don't know what's happening and i don't know if i need to know what's happening can be pretty exciting but sometimes it also depends on on who was doing that for us right and and so what we bring in terms of packaging to those people like someone from your workshop just a, a random yahoo whatever your contemporary is like no but if you're told like oh this is a rogue this is a great novelist this is someone who's like an artistic iconic class you're like well they must have something going on there's like i think we bring a lot of expectation to it based on on who the artist is which is not always fair obviously unless people get away with things and also it's easy to dismiss things that might just be more challenging I remember a long time ago during the C4 Lit Mag days, there was that story about the like kids who made an action movie with like a faded. It was like kind of supposed to be like Stallone slash like like a kind of like a Stallone analog, um, like a Bruce Willis analog. They like found some like old action hero film star in a bar and made a movie with him, and it was just like a description of their movie, and it was nuts. <laughs> like it was a weird story, and it didn't make any sense, and it like didn't it wasn't good. And I read it over and over because I was like. I was like, is this, this could be brilliant or it could be just trash. And I couldn't figure out where the line was. I still don't know, frankly. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And I was like. I wish we still had that story to read it Me again. too. Because I don't think we ended up publishing it, but we probably should have because it deserved to be seen by others to let them judge. But I, I really can't tell you whether it's good or not. I, I don't know because I don't have the apparatus to figure that out. And that can be frustrating and also really interesting. Yeah. Does this apply to other media for you, like movies, music? Do you have experiences of difficulty in like listening to music that that challenges you in that same way? I, I don't know how to relate it to music, honestly. I mean, I, I would hmm. say maybe like with experimental, like I I used to in college we used to live listen to Ken Nordine a lot. You ever <laughs> listen to him, Aaron? Word jazz, the colors, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean his his stuff isn't that necessarily that difficult, but it was definitely weird as fuck (laughs) yeah i think movies definitely like david lynch movies are pretty much impenetrable to me like i never understand what's going on in those yeah i think i was thinking movies like for sure like uh even stalkers we talked about stalker in a couple episodes ago as an example movie it's it's pretty hard to parse especially the first time you're watching you're like what is this and it's really slow and deliberate and the things aren't happening that are conventional in terms of storytelling so you're kind of a bit lost there Mm. too but the experience is overwhelmingly good. And it's, I, when I listen to like 
avant-garde jazz is that way too like really sort of free jazz or like that kind of stuff where there's no melody it's just noise essentially and I remember when I was worked at the radio station in college the jazz station the advisory board was all the communication faculty they were like the, the board of directors or whatever there was one faculty member who was like really active in the station but also he was really against free jazz he just like couldn't understand it and i was playing like, a really long john coltrane piece like a really intense like soprano sax just like long soloing and he came in he was like what is this this is like coltrane live at the village vanguard and he was like well why do you like it and i was like i just makes me feel something i like how it makes me feel it's interesting he's like, but do you know what's happening and I was like, I don't have the musical language to talk to you about what's happening harmonically or whatever, but I really enjoy the experience of listening to it. And he was like, is that enough for you? And I was like, yeah, it has to be enough. That's like the, that's really the only question is like, do you enjoy it or not? And I think about that too with, with difficult literature. Like sometimes it's like, well, do you enjoy it? Like, do you enjoy the feeling that you get from this? And if not, then that's, that's not good. But yeah, I think it depends on situation and context, definitely and taste. Sure. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's maybe a, a, a little, maybe easier with music because there's no like narrative to unpack. You don't have to have figured you, you don't have to understand what happened at the beginning of the song to like the middle of the song. You're not listening to the ring cycle over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's what the 20 hour Wagner opera. I don't know. I think it's just such a delicate balance. I think with, yeah. with narratives that a lot of times it's easy to just, to just lose the the plot literally yeah totally and it's also it's so subjective to based on time and experience too like when i read faulkner for the first time in high school i hated it and i read it later i read it later again in college and loved it so sometimes it's just also your like who you were at the time and what you wanted and and could take from it you know change those things too yeah yeah i mean you're right it's just do, do you like it and is that what you want in the moment you know yeah um like like gothic stuff we were talking about that recently right i that tends to be pretty dense and tends to not have a ton in the way of plot. Mm-hmm. But I like that because when I'm able to give myself to it and just kind of, and I, I imagine this sort of the opposite of this is why a lot of people gravitate towards just like forever genre fiction, right? Where it's just kind of all plot and setting, right? And it, it doesn't, you know, the, the beats are kind of obvious. And it's the same thing. Like you can just get lost in that, right? With Gothic, it's really getting lost in, in that language and in the aesthetics and the language starts to take on, the setting a little bit right and I, I don't care about that plot that much at least not as much as i care about the rest of it right but again you have to you have to one like that and two feel like reading it at the time right should we do a quick roundup and see if we can figure out what everyone's most difficult book they ever read was i think mine is definitely gravity's rainbow i think i i had a hard time reading that i wish i had done nico's plan of reading it 10 pages a day or whatever that's a really good idea i would just read it in fits and like sometimes i read 100 pages in one day sometimes i would, I would just, like put it down for a month or whatever so mm. it was a disjointed experience i definitely didn't get as much from that book as i probably could have i liked it i enjoyed reading it but it was it was hard for sure for me i think it was the the sound and the fury because mm-hmm. i i remember va- i have vague memories of reading as i lay dying i think in college or grad school and liking it and like understanding it enough, getting it enough and liking kind of the batshit craziness of it, but still with the story that I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try the, I'll try something else by Faulkner. And then I got about seven pages into Sound and the Fury. And I was like, this is gobbledygook. I don't, (laughs) I can't even begin to understand what's happening. Yeah. As the is definitely gives you more handrails than Sound and the Fury does for sure. Like even just the chapters having character names on them really helps. Sound and the Fury doesn't Mm -hmm. give you as much of that. No. I think for me, it was stuff I tried to read too early. Like when I was 19, I feel like I was 
an average at best 19 year old when I, mm-hmm. for example, try to read crime and punishment. I remember trying to read the glass bead game and I was just like, wait, what? That's on my list. That's my, one of my aspirational novels is really glass bead game. Who is that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bye. Herman Hesse. Yeah. My, mine's similar for, for me. It was the first time I read Tristram Shandy. Mm-hmm. I was probably 18 or 19. Uh, you know, I think as a freshman or sophomore college or something. Uh, and I didn't know how to read books. I didn't know how to approach books like that. So I just picked it up, you know, reading a chapter before class or whatever, thinking that it would be like any other book. And I was just, I, I didn't understand. And I had to go to class and like pretend I did for a while. Right. right? And then eventually, uh, so that was, I think that was the first time I really felt like really challenged by it. That's interesting. Yeah. We didn't talk about that too, is like difficulty that comes from age. Like when people talk about reading 19th and 18th century literature as being particularly difficult or challenging. And those texts are relatively straightforward in terms of their plot and characters. They have all the conventional things we expect from storytelling, but because the idiom is so different that it becomes like really hard to like, when people say that Shakespeare is hard to follow. It's like, well, his stories are really simple. They're not, I mean, they're maybe like, complex and plot mechanics but like the characters are really they're almost broad it's just the phrasing of it is what takes us out of it and so it's hard to like i guess what you mentioned brick about ulysses and like the sort of contemporary moment being important to it too but it'd be funny to like, take these sort of texts that you know contemporary students balk at for being hard to parse and go back to when they were written be like this was written for like the hoi polloi this is written for everybody in like serialized magazines this is not like a scholarly text to be right. sort of uh, studied and broken down like this well, listeners, tell us what your experience with difficult literature is. Do you read books that are hard to parse? Do you sort of find that experience ex- exhilarating? Do you find it frustrating? Do you find it confounding? Let us know. And give us some suggestions, too, for difficult titles that you liked. We want to read them. We're at Yak, uh, Yak Babies at Twitter is our Yak Babies handle on Twitter. <laughs> you can also email us at yakbabiespodcast at gmail.com with those thoughts, too, in case you're email specific. Also, find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash yakbabies, where you can find our bonus podcast for $1 a month. You can access it. And there's tons of fun stuff there. There's games, there's brotherbo conversations, there's drafts, man, all kinds of secrets being revealed on Patreon, all for a dollar. Check that out. Tinyurl.com slash shackbabies has our merch. There's t-shirts and gi- or no posters and stuff there. All designed by brick. They're all really fun and we're checking out there too. And then if you would please either rate review us somewhere on some sort of iTunes or whatever, wherever there's an option to rate us, do that or tell a friend about this podcast. That's a better, even better reading is telling someone about this podcast and letting them know they should listen to it. If they love literature, if they love talking about literature adjacent topics or, or bodily functions, sometimes whatever, whatever gets you there. It's fine. We're talking about all of here on Yak Babies. Until then, Yak Babies, yakking off. You made it, Aaron. The Yak Babies would like to thank all their loyal listeners, and especially their patrons, both past and present, including Michael, Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, and William Howard Taft. Oh.